got your Bible, open to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we are in part 7, I am statement number 6, which is a little weird, I know, um, of our I am series. We're looking at these seven statements through the book of John where, where Jesus declares I am and then fills in the blank with something behind that. We kicked it off with what Pastor Vince already talked about, that I am the bread of life. We looked at how Jesus is the good shepherd, how he is the door for the sheep. We saw how he is the vine and how we are the branches. Last week we saw how he is the way and the truth and the life. Next week we finish up with the one I've been waiting for. been so excited about that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But today, before we get there, we've saved one of my absolute favorites. In fact, one that is very unique. Um, Jesus in John chapter 8 declares, I am the light of the world. Now, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this statement before, right? If you like me and, and man, mom and dad made sure you were in church every Sunday as a kid, you've heard this many times. Um, but what's, what's different about this for me is as many times as I've heard this, as many times as I've read John chapter 8, as many times as I have preached various parts of John chapter 8, I never understood exactly the context that Jesus said this in. If you would have asked me of all the things that happened in the book of John, when did Jesus say, I am the light of the world? I probably would have guessed, well, probably after he healed a blind dude, right? Like that would make sense, right? That Jesus heals a blind guy. He says, hey, I'm the light of the world. That just see, it feels like it would be correct. But that's not the, the time when Jesus makes this declaration. He says it in a different moment. Let's go ahead and read John chapter 8, verse 12, as we get ready to dig in. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a declaration. What a promise. If you follow Jesus, if you come after him, if you disciple behind him, he says you will never walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. How many of you, when you were a kid, you were afraid of the dark? Show of hands. We're going to do a lot of show of hands today, so just go ahead and get that hand warmed up, all right? You were afraid of the dark when you were a kid. How many of you say, I'm an adult and I'm still afraid of the dark? A couple of honest people in this room. I just saw somebody who raised their hand on the second one, but not the first one. I don't know what happened there. Maybe something happened early, you know, somewhere in life where now you're afraid of the dark. Man, when I was a kid, I was scared of the dark. I remember sitting in bed and just imagining all these things, all this stuff that was going on in my room. And then my parents made this amazing discovery that got me a nightlight. How many of y'all had a nightlight? How crazy is it that a nightlight, which you can barely even see, this like dullest, softest light imaginable, as soon as that nightlight went on, I wasn't scared anymore. How, how crazy is it that that little bit of light was enough? All I needed was just a touch, just enough light to know that nothing was going to sneak up on me, that nothing was jumping out from under the bed, that nothing was hiding in the closet, just that little bitty nightlight was enough for me to sleep at night. You know what need, all we need, all the world needs is just a little bit of light. Just a little, just enough to see that there's something there that they don't have to be scared. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In fact, so often in scripture we see this contrast between darkness and light. It actually starts in the very beginning. In, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that in the beginning, God created light. In fact, the very first thing he created 
was light. And he separated the light from the darkness. We see this contrast in, in Acts chapter 26. The apostle Paul is testifying about his conversion, about when, when Jesus appeared to him, when he was still Saul. And in Acts 26, 17, he says, God said to me, Jesus said to me, I am sending you to them, them being the Gentiles, to open their eyes and turn them from what? From darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So he symbolizes and ties together darkness and the enemy and lightness, light and, and God. And so then Jesus in 8.12 of chapter John says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What we're going to do today as we go through the book of John, I, I want to break down this story that leads to this life-changing statement and, and we're going to break it into three parts and, and actually into four we're going to do something a little different my, my goal is we're going to go through our three parts we're going to pray we'll give people a chance to receive Jesus to, to meet the light of the world and then we're going to have a little bonus message after we pray if we got time we've got a fourth point which is the bonus point which we'll get to we'll see what God does but but the main message we're going to have three parts to it and we're going to look at the law the love and the light. Now, I know that sounds like a terrible soap opera, uh, but, but it's the title of our message today. We're going to go with it. The law, the love, and the light. So first, we're going to look at the law. Number one, write this down. The law reveals our guilt. The law reveals our guilt. Watch the truth of this play out in the story. In John chapter 8, this is the context, which I never knew and perhaps you didn't know either. It says, at dawn, he, he being Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Okay, so, so somehow a, a group of Pharisees, these very legalistic, very judgmental, very self-righteous men, they bust in as Jesus is teaching. They interrupt his teaching, and they're bringing with them a woman who was caught with the dude doing the dirty, right? Like, this is what's going on. Like, like they found her with this guy who was married, and this woman who presumably was not, we don't know, she may have been married, may not have been, but they're committing adultery, caught them in the act, and they decide, you know what, we're taking you to Jesus. Now, now notice first and foremost the hypocrisy here, the double standard here, right? Where's the dude? Back at the house apologizing to his wife, right? Come on, Teresa, preach. Uh, so, so he's back in the house. He's okay, but we're going to take you, and we're going to parade you in front of everybody. Now, we don't know the details, but you can imagine if she had just got caught in the act of adultery, she's probably not wearing her nicest outfit right now, right? We don't know if she's in her underwear. Maybe she grabbed a sheet or a robe, but she's probably not looking her best. And so we talked a little bit earlier about the walk of shame. She's making the walk of shame. In fact, this is the most shameful most humiliating, most horrifying moment of her life, and that's before the Pharisees start to speak because it's only going to get worse for this girl. See, they, they say in the law of Moses, verse 4, says they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So they wanted to catch him. They wanted to trap him. Now, now understand this. What they were saying was true. In the law of Moses, if you did get caught in the act of adultery, the punishment was you got stoned. And I don't mean weed, right? You got put to death. 
That was the punishment. That was the penalty in the law of Moses. And so they come to Jesus and they're like, what do you say about this? And so they're trying to trap him because this was their angle. They hated Jesus because Jesus was loved by the people. Jesus was seen as kind and compassionate and loving, and they were not because they were not. Uh, And they hated his popularity. And so they say, well, here's how we can mess Jesus up because we can bring him to her. And if he says, yes, the law says stoner, stoner, then he's not the gracious, kind, compassionate one they all thought he was. So we make him look bad. But if he says, no, don't, let's make an exception this time, now he's contradicting the law and he's the hypocrite that we think he is. So one way or the other, we're going to trap him. One way or the other, we're going to destroy his popularity with this. And so Jesus is about to do something really significant, but don't, don't forget the point here. The law reveals our guilt. Now, you see, we live in a world today where, where we don't like to admit guilt. Look at, look at any time a celebrity says something dumb, says something sexist or racist or otherwise stupid. They always come out with an apology. And what does the apology always say? It always says the same thing. I'm sorry if I offended anybody. Now, let's be clear. I'm sorry if I offended anybody is not an apology. I'm sorry you got your feelings hurt. It's not an apology, right? An apology says, I'm sorry I said something dumb. I should not have said that. Please forgive me. And so, but we don't say that because we don't like to admit guilt. I'm not going to say I did something wrong. I'm going to say, you, man, you got your feelings hurt, and that wasn't my intention. But that's not an apology. But that's the world that we live in. But we have to understand the Bible makes it very clear we have some guilt. The Bible makes it clear that we are sinful people. Now, now we push back against that. No, I'm, I'm a good person. We are good people, but in the eyes of Scripture, in the eyes of God, we're not. We can never measure up. We'll never do enough good stuff to overcome the sin, the filthy rags of sin in our life because the the law reveals our guilt. You see, this lady was guilty, and we can defend her, and we can point out the hypocrisy that she was brought and the man wasn't, and we can look at all the things that were wrong, but the bottom line truth is the Pharisees were right. They weren't right in the way they were handling it, and they were right in, in their purpose and their motive behind it, but they were, one, they were right about one thing. They were right about the law. This woman was guilty, and her guilt did condemn her. Now, you think, and I think, we're good people, right? Well, well let's try to illustrate this. I told you we're going to do a lot of raising hands today. We're going to have some fun with the Ten Commandments today. So we're just going to be real honest and see how sinful all of us are. How many of you ever told a lie? Show of hands. Now look around, find somebody who's not raising their hand. That's the liar, right? Um, we've all told a lie, right? Okay. How many of you have ever stolen something? Most of your hands are up. Now let me just point this out. The rest of you are lying because you're thieves because you got four city church pens in a drawer at your house or in your purse right now, right? You're, you're all thieves. You're all city church pens stealing thieves. So, all right, we still love you, but we've all stolen something, right? How, how many of you have ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Golfers, put your hands up. Parents, put your hands up, right? Most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us have used the Lord's name in vain at some point in time. Now, here's a tough one. How many of you ever lusted after somebody? That's not one that we just like to blast out there. The other ones are funny. Now we're like, oh, man, who's looking at me? You say, I've never lusted at somebody. I just like to admire God's creation. <laughs> oh, God, you knew what you were doing when you made her. Hallelujah. Right? Like, like most of us have been guilty of that. And you know what the word of God says? That if you've lusted after somebody in your heart, you've committed adultery. And so we can look at this woman who's condemned of her sin and say she's supposed to die, but the truth is so am I. 
And so are you. By your own admission, most of us in this room are lying, thieving, blaspheming, adulterers. We are messed up. We are sinful. We have violated the law of God and broken the heart of God. No matter how good we think we are, no matter how good the world thinks we are, God knows who we truly are. And the truth is, we are sinners who need a savior. And that's why it's so important for us to understand our sin. Because if we don't understand our sin, we don't understand our need for a savior. If we don't recognize the junk in us, then why did Jesus have to die? Well, he had to die for those people. No, he had to die for me. He had to die for my sin. He had to die for me. And that's why it's important for us to recognize our sin, not to identify with our sin, because now that Jesus has come and set us free, that's not our identity anymore. We're set free of that. We are not condemned. In fact, what the word of God says, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. So there's no condemnation for those four city church plans. I'm just messing with you. You can take another one today if you have to. That's between you and you and God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but we can't forget why Jesus had to die for us. We no longer identify as a sinner, but we have to remember that I needed a Savior too. Or otherwise, we stand in judgment of others very, very easily. So until we see ourselves as sinners, we'll not see our need for a Savior. So number one, the law reveals our guilt. The law said this woman is guilty. The law says you and I are guilty. But the good news is this. It doesn't stop with the law. Remember, we said we're going to talk about the law, the love, and the light. So number two, the love reveals God's grace. While the law reveals our guilt, the love reveals God's grace. And we see it through Jesus in verse six. They're trying to trick him and trap him. It says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. This is crazy. They're like, okay, Jesus, what do we do? Do we stone her or not? What do you say? They're leaning in, right? And getting real judgmental. And what does Jesus do? It's like, he doesn't even hear the question. He just ignores him and just starts drawing on the ground. What, what is with this dude? Who does this guy think that he is? And, and we don't know what he was writing. The Bible doesn't choose to tell us. Uh, what, what many believe and what I happen to believe is that he was stooping down and actually writing down the sins of the Pharisees who were asking the question. There, there's a couple reasons why Bible scholars believe this. One is there are actually some later manuscripts that actually record it this way. The earliest manuscripts don't say that, and that's why your Bible doesn't say that. But it, it does appear in some later manuscripts. The other is in the context of the Greek uh, that is being used. And so verse 7, it says, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. So he says, Hey, if you've never sinned, you pick up the rock and you can get this party started. Just let's go. Man, put her to death. She deserves to die. She's a sinner. All we need is somebody who's not a sinner to start the party. As he's writing down their sins, I believe. In the Greek language, the word translated without sin is actually anamartetos, anamartetos. And, and it means without sin, but the implication, the context actually implies not only someone who's never sinned, but someone who never even wanted to sin. See, because Jesus isn't just going after our actions. He's not just going after the outside. He's going after our heart. He says, so not only if you've never sinned and never even wanted to sin, you never wanted to commit adultery. You never wanted to take the Lord's name in vain. You never wanted to lie to get out of that situation. If you never had that desire in you, then go. I give you full permission to execute the law on this girl. But if you didn't, you don't have the right because you're just as guilty as she is. And so these judgmental, arrogant men have the same problem that all of us have at one point or another, and that's this. It's incredibly easy to see the sin in somebody else and to miss it in the mirror. 
See, because we judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Well, I didn't mean to lose my temper. I didn't mean to flip that person off, but man, traffic was bad, <laughs> right? Like, I didn't mean to let that happen. It just slipped out. We judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. But God judges us by our true intentions. What is our heart? And he knows our heart truly is not right without him. And so Jesus gets very serious in his message. Verse 8, it says, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. In other words, he wasn't done. There was a whole lot more he had to list out. Verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Why the older ones leave first? Well, there's two possible answers. One is they were older and wiser, and they realized, hey, this is done. Let's move on. We're going to have to find another plan because this one didn't work. The other is because they were older, their list was longer, <laughs> and they didn't want to see that just keep going. They knew, man, he ain't even got to my 20s yet. Let's, let's roll out. They don't need to know all this. Let's, get, let's, let's, let's roll and work on plan B later on. So Jesus and the woman are the only ones who are left. Verse 10, it says, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Look at the grace. Has no one condemned you? Like All these people wanted to condemn you, but nobody now can. Nobody now has. And this broken and shamed, humiliated woman in the darkest, most, most disgusting moment of her life. This moment where she's at the lowest she will ever be at. Jesus looks at her and he speaks perhaps the most grace-filled words in history. As she faces the death penalty. Jesus, who by the way, don't miss this. What did Jesus say? He said, who could condemn her? The one who was without sin? Who's the one without sin? He is. He's the one who had the right to throw the first stone. He's the one who had the right to execute the law. It wasn't that there was nobody there who had the right. There was one, but he was the one who chose not to. What's that? It's called grace. It's beautiful, and it's amazing, and it blows my mind. He walks in grace. He says, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Perhaps there's somebody here today who came in in some darkness, who came in in some shame, who came in in some guilt. Perhaps there's somebody here today who, who this month has been the lowest month of your life, who this week has been the worst week of your life, who perhaps even last night gave in to some temptation, and you feel so dirty and so humiliated, and you barely even made it here today. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ Jesus, I want to say these words of Jesus to you. Neither does he condemn you. Neither do we condemn you. There is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, he paid the price for that sin. He paid the price for that guilt and for that shame. You don't have to feel that way anymore. Listen to me. You are not what you did last night. You are not who they say you are. You are not what you feel. You are not what happened in your past. You are not your addiction. You are not your bondage. You are not your greatest sin or your least sin or your most frequent sin. You are not your deepest temptation. You are not your worst thought. You are who Jesus says that you are. And Jesus says you are not condemned. Jesus says you are the righteousness of God in Christ. The word of God says you are a saint. You are holy. If you are in Christ Jesus, that's who you are. You are not your sin. You are not your mistake. You are not your worst moment. You are not what the voice in your head says that you are. So many of us have heard that voice, myself included, that says, man, your, your kids are never going to respect you. 
Your kids are going to see this thing in you. Your kids are going to look at you this way, that your marriage is never going to be right. Man, that God will never be able to use you, that God will never be able to, to maximize the potential in your life because of this thing that you did. And you know what that voice is? That's a lie. You know what Romans, or Revelation chapter 12 calls Satan? calls him the accuser. And guess what? He's going to come up with some accusations. And a lot of times they hurt, they sting, and a lot of times they ring true. But remember what we said last week, Jesus is the truth, and anything that disagrees with him is a lie. So even though they ring true historically and factually, oh yeah, I did that, you know what the truth is? In the eyes of God, you did not. Because it's washed away, it's forgiven, it's done. And so you need to listen to the truth and not just to a statement that happens to be true. Because Jesus is the truth, and in his eyes, it's paid for, it's taken care of, it's nailed to the cross, it's done. Don't listen to the voice of the accusers. Until we see ourselves as sinners, we'll not see our need for a savior. But once we see our need for a savior, because the law reveals our guilt, we must also know that the love of Jesus reveals his grace. He looks at this broken, shamed woman, this woman who, who feels humiliated in front of every person sitting there as Jesus is teaching. And he says, where are they now? Neither do I condemn you. And then what does he do next? Does he say, okay, now, now that you've been forgiven, now that this one's taken care of, go try not to do it again. Does, does he say, man, because I know you, your dad left you when you're a kid and you've got daddy issues and, and I know that you're just trying to look for attention and approval of men and this is probably going to happen for a while and we're going to try and work our way through it. D does he say, man, because... You, you've got this issue or that issue or this reason or that reason that this thing continues to pull you. I, I, know, I know you don't got a lot going on in your life, and so I know you're just going to keep on gossiping. I know that's who you are. I know that's how it is for you. So, so, man, just try not to gossip around the holidays. Let's start there, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't justify her sin. He justifies her, but he doesn't justify her sin. What does he say? He says, go and sin no more. Now, if we hear this wrong, and most of my life I've heard it wrong, this seems really judgmental and really difficult because he's putting it on her. I forgave you for that one. Well, all right. Praise God. That went down. Sorry about that. He says, go and sin no more, right? It sounds, man, now in your strength, in your power, don't you ever let this happen again, right? That's how I've always heard it. Very, very tough, very rough, very in your face. And here's why. Because we stop the story there. We stop at verse 11. It's done. Jesus says, go and sin no more. And now it's in her. Well, you, I took care of the first one. But don't let it happen again. Now it's on you to get it fixed. But the story doesn't stop there. We only stop there because, man, our modern translations put in these section headings. And, and that's the end of a section. But the chapter doesn't stop there. The narrative doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop there. He actually goes on. He says, go now and live your life, leave your life of sin. The law reveals our guilt. The love reveals God's grace. But number three, the light reveals our hope. See, because verse 11 isn't the end of the story. Verse 11 is a setup for verse 12, as, as Hunter comes down, focus with me. Verse 12 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people. Now, I read that, and I always thought this is later on. When Jesus spoke again to the people. The next time Jesus appeared before the people. But I don't think that's what's happening here. What was going on in context? Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. He's got a whole bunch of people listening to him. He's teaching them about God. The Pharisees break up and bust up the service. They interrupt him. 
You think all those people left while they brought in this girl in her underwear in front of everybody? I doubt it. I bet you anything they were leaning in trying to find out what's about to happen. Somebody broke out their phone. I'm putting this on Facebook Live. Man, they're never going to believe this. I'm glad I came to church today, right? Man, this is the most interesting thing that's happened in a long time. They didn't leave. They're still sitting there. And Jesus has addressed this girl's sin, and he's told her to go and sin no more. And now they're waiting. What is Jesus going to tell us next? Man, what is he going to say about this next? They're hanging on every word. And so Jesus looks up from his conversation with this girl. And the first words out of his mouth are this. John 8 verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever knows me, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What is he saying? This is not separate from his declaration of go and sin no more. This is his declaration of how you go and sin no more. Because I'm the light of the world and I bring everything out into the light. You can't hide it. But once you follow me, now you've got the light in you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to make it possible. You see, the law reveals our, our sin and the love reveals his grace, but the light It reveals our hope. There is hope for you and for me. When he becomes the light, not just of the world, but the light of your world, that's when everything changes. The darkness can never defeat light. There's not enough darkness in the world to put out the nightlight in my son's room. There's not enough darkness in the world to squelch up that little bit of light. Why? Because light always overcomes darkness light always wins and so jesus says once you've encountered me once you've experienced me once you've received the light if you follow me now you're going to receive the light of life my light's going to go with you and that's how you go and sin no more these are not two completely disconnected stories this is one connected thought you go and sin no more because i am the light of the world And when you follow me, you have my light, the light of life. I make it possible for you to sin no more. When you know that, you receive freedom from all the condemning voices of the world. From the voice of the enemy who tells you you're not good enough. From the voice of your mom who says, man, why can't you do this right? From from the voice in the back of your head of that, that gym teacher or that coach or whatever that condemning voice is in your life, you receive freedom from that. Because you realize there's only one voice that matters. And he says, I don't condemn you. I could. I'm the one person in position that I could condemn you. I'm the one person who didn't fall into that temptation. I'm the one who didn't give in like you did. But I choose not to. Because I'm the light of the world and I'm giving you my light. The law reveals our guilt. His love reveals God's grace. His light reveals our hope. I want to tell you today, if you came in feeling guilty... You came in with some shame. You came in with some sin. The light of the world has come. He stepped down into darkness, and he opened your eyes so you can see. He's made it possible for you to be free from that thing, for you to walk away from that thing. What I love about this is he says, go now and leave your life of sin. 
go now. There's an urgency there. Not, not in 12 months once you've worked through 12-step process. Not once you've gone through this discipleship program. Not once you've done this or done that. He says, go now. I'm making your freedom available now. I'm delivering you now. Your sin is paid for now. Your condemnation is done now. Your shame is over now. Somebody needs to hear that today. Jesus says to you, go now and leave your life of sin. Quit putting it off. Quit thinking you're never going to get over it. Quit thinking, man, it's okay. Nobody realizes it. Jesus sees the sin and he doesn't condemn you for it, but he says you can be free. I've made it possible for you to be free of it. I've made it possible for you to leave that life and I'm ready for you to leave it now. He says now. Go now. Go now. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in his light to free us from all guilt and all shame and all junk. Now. Would you pray with me today? Father God, we thank you that Jesus is the light of the world. We thank you that because of him, you've made it possible for us to have your light. To be free from all of our junk, all of our shame, all of our stuff. So right now, Father God, we ask that that you would speak very clearly, God, that anybody who doesn't know Jesus would see the hope of the light of the world. God, that anybody who came in here in bondage to sin would see the hope of the freedom that only Jesus can provide. God, that you are our hope, and you haven't just paid a price for us to spend eternity with you. You've paid a price for us to be free from condemnation and guilt and shame and sin now. God, let your power flow in this place in Jesus' name. If you're here today and and you came in and you've never seen the light, you never met the light of the world, his promise to you is this. If you'll follow me, you will have the light of life. You will never walk in darkness. If you're ready to step out of darkness and into the light and embrace Jesus, the light of the world today, make a fresh start with God. I'm going to give you that opportunity. Nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed that's you and you need to to know the light of the world today would you slip up your hand i'm not going to embarrass you just want to lead you in a prayer says you know what i'm a sinner i see your hand anybody else i need to see the light today i need to come into the light today praise god praise god you can put your hand down awesome awesome i'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance this is simply a chance for you to tell god what's what's already happening in your heart a chance for you to say i'm sorry for my sin and i'm ready to come to you if you'd repeat this after me I want to give you this opportunity. Oh, you got to mean these words. But if you mean them, man, the light of the world is going to flood your life with his light. If you're here today and you're a Christian, if you would just repeat this prayer with me as a show of support for this one lost sinner who's coming home. Say, Father God, I come before you today. I'm a sinner. I know I haven't lived the way you want me to. And so today, I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I give you the throne of my heart. Come be my king. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my God. I love you. Thank you for dying for me. Fill me with your light that I never walk in darkness again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Every eye head still bowed, every eye still closed. Second question. You're a Christian. You know, you're, you know you're, your eternity is taken care of. You know you're going to spend it with Jesus. But you came in here today in darkness. There's darkness in your life. There's shame in your life. Maybe it's from something from years ago that you just can't get over. Maybe it's something that happened this week that you haven't repented of yet. 
regardless of the situation, you know you came in here in, in guilt and in shame and in darkness, and you want to bring that thing out into light. You want to tell God, I, I know this thing is here, and I'm tired of hiding it. I'm tired of running from it. I'm ready to confront it. I want to give it to you. I want to repent of it. I want to be free from it, and I'm going to walk in your light. If that's you and nobody looking around, I'm ready for that freedom. I'm ready for this condemnation to be gone. I'm ready for this guilt and this shame to be gone. Would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Praise God. Praise God. I see your hand. Anybody else? I got some guilt. I got some shame. I see your hand as well. Anybody else? I'm ready to be free from this. I see your hand. Anybody else? Praise God. Praise God. Father God, you see these men and women. God, I don't know their guilt. I don't know their shame. I don't know what they're stuck in. I don't know what the accuser is beating them over the head with. God, but you know. So right now, God, we speak your freedom. God, we thank you that the light of Jesus is already inside of them. God, that in your eyes, they're already free from condemnation. But God, I pray that their, their thoughts, their identity would line up with your word and not with their feelings anymore. Father God, that they would sense the freedom of Jesus, that they would know that they are now free to go and leave their life of sin, to leave whatever that is, God, whether it's just guilt from something in the past or, or conviction from something this week. God, set them free as they've repented, God, that they would leave their life of sin and have your very best for their life. God, that they would see themselves the way you see them. God, as a son or a daughter of the king, as the righteous, pure, and holy saint that they truly are. God, we thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. Would you praise God with me this morning? Amen. Amen. Praise God. I'm so excited for each of you guys with what God is doing in your life. I told you I had a little bonus point for you, a little bonus message. I want to share this with you. So we, we talked about the law, we talked about the love, and we talked about the light. Well, there's, there's a, there's a sub-point about the light that we have to get to. It's my favorite thing about this I am statement, and we have time, praise God, for us to hit it. So point four is this. Our light reveals their hope. You see, point three was his light reveals our hope. But point four is our light reveals their hope. You see, Jesus says, I'm going to fill you with my light. I'm going to give you my light. And you're going to have the light wherever you go. In fact, it's not the only time he spoke like this. And in another passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus actually makes the same declaration about you, about the church, about his followers. That in John 8, he makes about himself. It's the only I am statement he does this. Jesus doesn't say you are the way and the truth and the life. He doesn't say that you are the vine. He doesn't say that you are the good shepherd. He reserves those things for himself. But in this one instance, he says, not only am I the light of the world, but you are the light of the world. I got to show you. It's so cool. Matthew 5, 14. He says, you are the light of the world. Look at the person next to you say, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Whose light? Your light. Whose light? My light. Say my light. My light's got to shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How can you be the light of the world if he is the light of the world? It's because he's the light of your world. Because he's put his light in you. He's put his spirit in you. He says, not only have I freed you from your sin, but I've come to live in you and to live through you. And all you got to do is make sure you don't hide the light that I put inside of you. See, because your light is now the hope of their world. There's somebody in your world that you're their hope. 
there's somebody in your workplace that God puts you there because you are the hope of their world. There's somebody in your family, and man, you're like, God, why am I stuck in this family? And why would you give me this family member and that family member? And God says, I put you there because you're the light of their world. Because somebody's got to be their light. There's somebody in your neighborhood. There's somebody at your school. There's somebody in your world in that mom's group that drives you crazy. But Jesus says, you are the light of their world. You are the hope of their world. You are the one who's going to come in contact with them, who's carrying me. And I need you to make sure that they can see me. I need you to make sure that that light will shine because you're their hope. You're the one who I put in their life. You're the light of their world. This week we got a really cool chance to be the light of somebody's world. I don't think the only way for us to be the light of somebody's world is to invite them to a block party. Don't get me wrong. There's much bigger ways and and greater ways. But this is a really simple and a really easy one. To invite them to a good Friday service. To tell them about an Easter service. My challenge to you is to be the hope of somebody's world this week. God put light in you. He didn't just put you to to go work your nine to five, to make your paycheck, to keep the lights on, to, to, to survive one more day. He puts you in your situation to represent Jesus to a last lost and hurting and dark world. He says, my light is going to shine through you into the darkness, and they're going to see me through you. We got a chance to do it this week. We got a chance to, to show a city the glory of God. Did you see verse 16? Put verse 16 back on the screen for me. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. What happens when we give away clothes at Mission OB? Somebody sees your good deeds and they glorify the Father in heaven. What happens when, when some teenagers wash a car and are willing to get wet and they do it for free and we're not taking donations? They see your good deed and they glorify our Father in heaven. What happens when somebody crawls into an Easter bunny costume and gets real sweaty for a couple hours taking pictures? Somebody sees your good deeds and they glorify the Father in heaven. What happens when we gather and and we got hamburgers coming off the grill as we're getting ready to worship on Good Friday? Somebody sees your good deed and glorifies the Father in heaven. What are we doing this week? We're being the light of the world. Why? Because Jesus died Because there's a world that the law says you're guilty. But his love says I have grace and his light says now here's some hope. And he says I'm putting my hope in you. I'm putting my spirit in you. I'm putting my love in you. Just let them see it. The danger with this is this, guys. We've done this before. We, we, man, we've been down this road, we've done Good Friday service, and we've handed out clothes. And, and, and if we're not careful, we let it get stale, and we let it get routine, and we miss out that Jesus has called us to be the light of the world. And he says, there's hope in you that I'm just dying to get out to the world. Guys, as your pastor, I'm encouraging you, I'm inviting you, come be the light with us this week. But don't just show up. Man, will you be show up, prayed up? Will you show up filled with the Holy Spirit? Will you show up, man, believing God that we're not just going to put on a a bunny suit, we're not just going to hand out some cotton candy, but we're going to show the world the light of Jesus at these three events, that people are going to see him. In fact, if you do this, would you stand up with me, take these cards in your hand. We're going to pray over them. I want everybody to take, take a stack. If you got room in your hands, take the business cards and the postcards. We're going to pray over these, that God would lead you to the right people. That God would place the right people on your heart and give you the right words as you make these invites. That it wouldn't just be a man slide it to him across the table and move on. But that God would actually speak through you as you invite them. 
that people would see Jesus, that the light of the world would get out through our people. Come on, let's lift these up to God right now.